Hello and welcome to UX Maturity. This is a podcast where we have conversations about the ins and outs of being a designer in tech. This is episode 45 and I'm your co-host Susan. And I'm your co-host Sandrine. If you like our podcast, please rate and review us on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or other podcast platforms where it's possible to rate and review us. And uh, otherwise, please follow and share the podcast to help spread the word. We really, really appreciate your support. Uh, and today we are continuing with our theme of discovery. Uh, and we're going to talk about continuous discovery, which is... Um, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, it's something I, I, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, not uh, name drop, whatever. You know, it's something I talk about a lot, or I mention 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 is word. <laughs> it's something I mention a lot. Um, so yeah, maybe a good place to start is uh, to ask you, Sandrine. Uh, what do you think continuous discovery is, or what is it in your view? Uh, I've been dreading that question because uh, I'm not sure I've actually done, I'm not sure I've had a lot of experience with continuous discovery myself, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, in my view, I think continuous discovery is being continuously, obviously, um, gathering insights and I guess learning about your users and your user needs and I guess this involves having regular regular uh, activities I guess with your team where you make time to learn about users and talk to them so I guess you would have maybe I don't know usability testing every two weeks for example regularly or you would have uh, user interviews every week for example with five users for example so I think this is what it is in my view. Um, and that allows you obviously to continuously discover and that allows you to explore other the same problems, but go deeper and deeper into the same problems that your users are facing. So you can figure out more opportunities to solve those problems, which ones are worth solving. Or you can bring up some new concepts to your users and get some learning um, from testing and and yeah, these sort of things. So this is what, in my view, is continuous delivery. Uh, continuous discovery, not delivery. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Although it could be, it could be part of the same. Like in in a world where discovery and delivery is is you know happening at the same time. But yeah, I yeah, I think that that is that is spot on in in my opinion. Um, I guess academically. Theoretically, I don't know. Um, continuous discovery as a concept has been popularized a lot by um, Teresa Torres. Uh, so she recently wrote a book called Continuous Discovery Habits. Um, so if, you, if you've heard of continuous discovery, it's, it's likely that it's through her. Um, but I don't think it's, I don't think it needs to be strictly by, by the book, <laughs> uh, as it were. I think you you could probably call a lot of things continuous discovery that involves, as you said, continuously um, gathering insights uh, about users. Um, for example, there are customer support people who are, of course, continuously on the front line, and and they are continuously discovering in a way. And if you have um, internally in your company cadences and ceremonies or rituals or whatever uh, where product uh, slash UX slash design um, have 
some sort of regular touch point with customer service about, you know, what have you learned from the front line this week or today or this month? Or what are the main pain points you get through, you know, customer support? That's, that can be a form of continuous discovery as well. Although that's, um, uh, that's the insights that come through customer support tend to be more, um, do I get this right, reactive? Uh, it, it tends to be more, you know, people writing in about problems. Um, and so the flip side of that is to to continuously discover proactively, which is what some UX and product uh, people do. Um, that can take the form of, um, yeah, like you said, regular usability testing, regular user research. And in my head, continuous discovery is sort of the opposite of project-based discovery. So project-based discovery is what a lot of us do, which is um, uh, almost like a one-off discovery activity or one-off research project where you um, decide upfront, okay, this is the plan, these are the research questions, and then then based on your research questions, you you design the the activities that you need to do. So whether that's a survey or interviews or observations or could be A-B testing, um, and then and then you finish that project and then you're done discovering and then you go into the next uh, phase. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. I think that's a, it's a really good comparison, I guess, to see what is not continuous discovery. And it's true that in a lot of places where I've worked in, and even recently, um, it happens that it's quite project-based, especially when you... It it really depends how you you shape your roadmap, I guess, as well with your team. That will really define whether you're setting a frame for continuous discovery or not, I guess. Um, so yeah, I know you've got a bit more experience with continuous discovery. So I'm kind of keen to hear about what are the key value, uh, what is the key value actually, and the key benefits of doing continuous discovery for a team. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, of course, very <laughs> team continuous discovery. Although I want to say, I don't think it's either or. I don't think either continue, either do continuous discovery or do project-based discovery. I think both are important and there's a time of time and place for both. We can get to that later. Um, in my view, what's the value of continuous discovery? I There's so much value. Um, you, you get more empowered and rapid decision-making in the team. So if if you're a cross-functional team with a UX person and a product person and some engineers and maybe some operations or marketing people, if you have a continuous stream of insights that come into that team, it's easier to make uh, decisions as to what opportunities to prioritize or what problems to solve next or um, what fires to fight um, and so on. and also, if you have continuous discovery set up and operationalized, which can be a challenge. So, but if you if you have infrastructure in place to constantly have access to users, then it it dramatically lowers the threshold to do discovery in in the first place. Because I think if you're in an environment where there is no continuous discovery and uh, there is no infrastructure to to easily and quickly get access to users and get insights from them, um, then it takes it takes more resources to do a, a discovery activity in the first place. So, for example, uh, you might not have uh, data participant consent forms, and that needs to be made. You might not have the tooling in place, and you need to spend time researching what 
what tools to use to record, what tools to use to uh, build the prototypes in and send them, um, what to, how to recruit people, you know, all of that takes longer. Uh, and if you're in a less UX mature um, environment, the, the fact that that takes longer to, to start the discovery activity in the first place might be an argument from, quote, the business to skip the whole discovery um, bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I, of course, as you can imagine, I'm a huge proponent of, uh, of uh, doing continuous discovery. But all that to say, it's very challenging to, you have to be very intentional in, in operationalizing it uh, in the first place. And, and I think, I'm guessing that's, that's part of the reason why not necessarily all teams nor all organizations just do continuous discovery um, uh, or, yeah, don't have that uh, set up. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was wondering, you said earlier that um, project-based discovery and continuous discovery can can go hand in hand. Um, it's not sometimes, you know, either or. Um, I was wondering what what are the factors that help you decide whether you should have a continuous discovery process or if you should approach more as a project-level-based research? Yeah, this is maybe where <laughs> I'm not an expert either. <laughs> um, uh, but um, in my opinion, and I'm very happy to be challenged on this, in my opinion, I think the value of project-based research is when you, for example, need to do very thorough, uh, very thorough research or very thorough discovery. Um, it could be when there's more at risk, um, when when if you know you really have to make sure you speak to enough people the right people uh, do long enough of a research activity uh, because if you don't then you risk losing revenue or customers or you know the risk is higher that's when project-based research is really important um or um of course, uh, oh, I forgot to mention this, but sometimes it's just difficult to get access to customers at all. Um, so uh, I, I've, for example, worked in um, uh, in, uh, in healthcare, uh, where it's quite different. And I think lots of people who work in healthcare can relate. It's hard to find healthcare professionals uh, to speak to continuously because they are, of course, very, very busy. <laughs> and they're not like, you know, the average, uh, if there is such a thing, the average SaaS consumer who, you know, uses, I don't know, Notion every day or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, their tools are helping them in their very, very busy work. And in, in environments like that, or um, what was it? I think I think I also heard of, uh, was I was tangential to someone who worked with like very high net worth uh, individuals and you know very wealthy people don't have time to, to like do user re participate in user research all the time um or they might i don't know i yeah uh i'm guessing anyway <laughs> my point is um uh, sometimes it's just very difficult to do continuous discovery if your customers aren't continuously available uh and uh in those contexts it's it's also very valuable and it makes a lot of sense to do project-based research because then you have to more intentionally figure out okay how do we recruit these people how do we incentivize them? Where do we find them? Do we need to use a specialist recruitment agency? Um, and it just costs more to get those users or those customers to speak to you. 
Um, and because it costs more, you have to put a lot more thought um, into it. Um, but yeah, I think the value of continuous discovery over project-based discovery is when you have an existing product, maybe it's a very mature product even, it doesn't have to be, but there's an existing product with existing customers uh, using it and you just want this continuous feedback loop uh, as to their ongoing usage, their, whether it's solving a, their problems, what other problems they might face um, and, and so on. Um, yeah, so uh, so it seems like you've done more project-based uh, discovery, Sandrine. Yeah. Um, what's your what's your thought process when you decide, you know, I'm, let's let's do a discovery activity now, or let's do user research now? Like, when how do you how do you decide that you need to embark on a project versus you know do some quick quick desk research or whatever, um, and and how do you go about planning that? Yeah, it's a good question. Usually it would depends both on the level of, of, I guess, of risk of the project, you know, what is the size of the project itself. I guess there's some projects that we know are just going to be changing the product quite fundamentally. So you probably want to invest a bit more and make sure you have a good understanding of the problem. There's some other problems that are so tiny that your gut feeling and, uh, you know, data that is available to you is probably enough to, you, you'll get more learnings by testing, basically, and it will be less risky, almost, at least the opportunity cost is, is better in that way. Um, usually, I, so I assess the level of, of risk, and then I also gather just what learnings I, I have about this, um, this project, this problem that I'm tackling, and I assess you know what research questions do I still have that are left unanswered and then I decide whether I need to have them answered to move on to the next stage of the of the process which is to define opportunities sometimes um, sometimes it is fine to carry on because we already have a good picture of what problems are with desk research or stakeholder interviews and that sort of thing and, and sometimes it's just simply not so that's when I, I plan research and we plan primary research to actually go on and address those research questions that were not were not answered by the desk research uh, that we had at hand. So that's often how I play it. Um, so so yeah, I guess it would be really it would be an assessment made for each project, each initiative that we prioritize on the roadmap. It won't really be, yeah. I guess my question is around continuous uh, discoveries. How do you, how do you almost sustain, I guess, that cadence, and then how do you use those insights? Because you will, you will kind of uncover quite a, a large bunch of insights o- over time. How do you make uh, sure that you make use of these insights? Because sometimes, you know, we can get into an issue of like this. There's just too much data to compute for the team. <laughs> How do you make sure you don't fall in that trap as well, where you're actually doing continuous discovery, yes, but you don't actually have the the brain space or you know the resource to actually analyze it and make use of that data? So I guess, yeah, how do you make sure that does not happen and how do you utilize those insights within your product development cycle? That's a that's a really good question. And I think that's um, that can be a challenge as well if you don't optimize the way you do continuous discovery it immediately it immediately makes me think of um my first experience of continuous discovery 
um, and how, yeah, maybe we didn't make those insights actionable enough. Um, so I'll describe the situation. So I, I used to work in a place where we had a, um, uh, in the office, we had a user research lab, usability lab. Um, and it was that classic, you know, one room for the user and the moderator and the note taker. And then there was like this two-sided mirror situation. This is very old school, this two-sided mirror situation uh, for observers to observe. And what we did was, um, uh, so this was quite a quite a mature company, uh, as in it, it wasn't a startup, it had a lot of resources. Um, and so we got, um, we scheduled users to come into the office every week, uh, about three days a week. Um, uh, and we didn't call it continuous discovery at the time, but in hindsight, I realized that's what it was. And what we did was every week we would um, type up our notes, summarize our notes from what we learned um, in that in that week's uh, user research sessions and, and email it out to the company, almost like a user insights newsletter. And I remember we often got um, we often got replies to those email newsletters, insights newsletters from other people in the business who were, you know, we got a lot of good feedback. People found it interesting. Uh, they engaged with it, but they also asked like, so, so how are, what's the action? What, what, how are you using this? And I remember we were a bit, um, is defensive the right word? I think as a design team, we were a bit like, oh, we, it's, it's just, it's just insights with, they don't, there are no actions right now, maybe later, or, you know, I can't, I can't quite remember, but uh, I remember, uh, yeah, the the feedback from the rest of the business was often, you know, uh, uh, and then what? And, and so what? You know, what are you doing with this? Um, and now, with like years later, uh, I'm thinking, uh, oh, we shouldn't, yeah, we should have maybe, we should have maybe been better at making those insights actionable. So, yes, how do you make sure you're not, uh, as a business, as a team, you're not overwhelmed with insights and don't know what to do with it? Um, what I... And, and how do you sustain? How do you sustain that cadence? Um, maybe let's go with how do you sustain that cadence first. Um, in my experience, what really helps is to intentionally be a bit scrappy with it. So when I've been when I've been incorporating is that the word? when I've been implementing uh, continuous discovery in a team and or in an organization, I've I've explicitly gone in with the mindset of I will not write detailed research reports or, or do a detailed presentation of this. Uh, what I'll do instead is I'll involve people as observers as much as possible and different people as well. Um, so I would um, invite one or two engineers, for example, and different ones as, as different as possible week on week or session by session uh, so that the insights, so I'd invite them to the sessions themselves, the user research sessions as observers. And then uh, that would make sure that insights were sort of um, dissipated uh, is that the word oh my god I've been in Italy for two weeks I don't know English anymore <laughs> like you know like diffused uh, spread <laughs> diffused yeah, yeah spread around spread around the company uh, I also uh, so that's how you know the insights got spread and then um, uh, I also intentionally uh, intentionally shared or um, what's it called um, cut um I also intentionally encouraged quote unquote non-designers to do something with those insights. And and it wasn't just me, it was as a company, we were very, um, 
uh, we um, engineers were very product engineering, so they were very empowered to make their own decisions. Uh, it wasn't, you know, just the UX person or just the designer who who were to make decisions based on user insights. Um, and then uh, another thing I did was uh, make sure I shared maybe like nuggets, customer insights nuggets from the week in that week's all hands or, you know, just one or two small bites. Um, and then the third thing, which is really important, uh, is if you have some sort of customer feedback repository uh, that isn't just used by UX, but maybe it comes from their insights from sales or insight from customer support, UX can drop those continuous uh, discovery insights into that same repository. So you have have some sort of yeah, like some sort of database of, uh, of feedback uh, and insights, very bite-sized. It doesn't have to be um, a lengthy report. Now, the <laughs> drawback of that is that um, insights aren't very thoroughly synthesized. So often it's a quote and, you know, a quote in isolation often misses context. Um, or it could be uh, an edge case or it could be um, insights from very specialized customers or customer types that are not generalizable. And some of that nuance disappears if you don't take the time to sit down and analyze all the insights and then take a step back and and look at everything from, from a distance. Um, so that's, of course, one of the advantages of doing project, project-based um, discovery, I think. Uh, but then again, on the flip side, uh, on the flip side, by sort of, yeah, again, dissipating all insights across different people in, in the shared uh, feedback repository and, and kind of floating it up in all hands and all company meetings and stuff. You build this, organiz- I like to call it organizational empathy for the customer, shared understanding of customer pain points and needs. And it it's sort of, if you're doing it right or if it goes well, then you, you encourage this uh, conversation and discussion around the company around oh yeah did you see that uh, usability test and they they really str- the user really struggled with that I wonder if we could you know it's just serendipitously um, it serendipitously hopefully <laughs> leads to actions <laughs> just around at that point uh, and so empowers more people beyond the UX people beyond the design people to action um, the insights so yeah. Yeah, thanks for the the lengthy answer. <laughs> uh, I was wondering, actually, y- you talk about it like it was mostly you doing the the, the continuous discovery, so the continuous research. But is that sustainable to have only one team member running the research week on week, or would would you would you have several? Would it be would it be more of a team activity, I guess, where um, people would actually get trained almost to run these sessions, um, so that it's not always down to the same person to run them? Yeah, another another excellent question. So, I in in the instance where I said where where it sounded like I was the only person, I was the only person initially because I was the only UX person in the company, <laughs> um, and part of the reason I put so much effort into operationalizing continuous discovery and making sure engineers were included and dissipating all the insights and sharing them and stuff was because I was the only UX person and there was like there was no way I could have actioned all of them if I was the only one with the insights if if I was the only one who who was the voice of the customer which I don't think UX people 
should be. Um, so it was almost like a survival mechanism for me. Like, okay, I'm the only UX person here. There are many, many, many engineers. Um, I need to somehow empower them to make product and, and UX decisions. And the way I can do that is to uh, put more effort into gathering insights and sharing them and less relatively less uh, energy into making the decisions because there was no way I could do both. It's not ideal. Uh, I suggest hire more designers <laughs> so, so more of them can do that. In the previous example I talked about with, with the in-house usability uh, and user research uh, lab situation, we were the whole uh, design team doing it and that was a lot more manageable. And it also made us, so we were a relatively big design team. All of us were doing these um, user research uh, sessions every week. We were all in different teams and it, that continuous stream of insights um, made it easy for us as multiple teams to continuously make user-centered decisions in our, um, in our designs hold. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does answer the question, absolutely. Um, I was wondering, because obviously... One of my main concerns with continuous discovery is that for me, it can really result in a lack of focus. Um, like, how do you make sure that what you research or what you go and test with your users is still focused enough that the ultimately the actions that you would take from these insights will be still aligned with company vision, company strategy? And also overall real problems that are worth solving. Because I think the risk is when you run so much research continuously is that you start losing a bit of focus over time over what you research because you're well, you're kind of researching so much that either you go really in depth into the same topic or you might also start really scattering and I guess researching several areas or go really loosely about so what problems do our users have, which is really, really broad research to do. So I'm wondering, how do you make sure that you that yeah that you remain focused? How do you decide week on week what's going to be researched? I guess if you have several team running and contributing to that continuous discovery, I guess that does help for that because each team will come in with their own research plans. I guess, but yeah, I'm just wondering how does that work? Yeah, I this is of course where um, where I think it's uh, it's important to balance both project based uh, discovery and continuous discovery because there are pros and cons to both. So uh, as we talked about project based discovery, you you make sure you research the right things, you make sure you have focus, uh, whereas uh, you might have less focus with continuous discovery. However, with continuous discovery you're more likely to serendipitously discover things that you haven't chosen to focus on, but that actually leads to really valuable opportunities. Whereas with project-based uh, discovery, you're less likely to hit into those um, serendipitous serendipitous uh, findings. So, But yes, um, one thing I um, always found helpful in maintaining focus with continuous discovery is to have like a little mini plan on Mondays. Um, so I'd look over on Mondays, I'd look over the schedule for the week. Um, and then I would, um, so this is if I was alone, uh, as in the lone UX person, look over the schedule of the week. And then I would uh, understand what the different weekly goals of the different teams were. So if you, if you work across teams or if you work in a single team, uh, hopefully that that team has some sort of goal for the week whether they or the two weeks whether that's sprint goals or okrs or 
um, you know, something. And <laughs> I hope the team is working with focus. And then you align the, the discovery activities for that week around those goals. Or you ask. Uh, I remember, you know, sometimes I would have users scheduled for a week um, and I noted that those users were using mobile the mobile app very uh, very actively and so what I would go to the mobile team and ask you know I'm talking to some mobile users this week is there anything in particular you want to learn and then the engineers on the mobile team would go oh yeah actually we just released this update can you can you try and understand if it's working what's missing that sort of thing um and yeah like as you mentioned if there are more designers in continuous discovery then hopefully those designers are aligning their research their research questions for those um continuous sessions with whatever they're focusing on that week um and then sometimes i would find myself have periods where there wasn't much focus as in i mean there were always periods with focus but uh there would be periods of having users scheduled for research but i didn't have anything particular that I wanted to learn. And then I would actually just use those sessions as um, more generally um, more generally discovering how they were using the product or um, opportunistically, uh, oh, this is this is the thing I, I, I find it difficult to make time for if you're not doing continuous discovery, which is to usability test the existing product. Just how, how's it doing? Um, of course, you have things like Hotjar and product analytics where you can see what people are doing. Uh, but rarely I find I find that it's easy or space to prioritize how's, how's the usability of a product doing? Just, you know, without um, maybe you released something a couple of weeks ago and you haven't really you've seen in, in, in um, your analytics and your events how, how people what people are doing, but you don't really know. You know, is it is it actually user friendly uh, or not? Um, so you can opportunistically use these these regularly scheduled sessions for for that as well. I have a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, how do I phrase this question so it doesn't become too off? Um, yeah. Okay. So, um, question back to you. Um, so one of the things I mentioned earlier that that may, might make it difficult to get started with continuous, well, get started with research in general is is the sort of setup costs. So figuring out how to record, how to run them, what tools to use, uh, consent forms and, and things like that. Um, in your experience, when you do project-based discovery, do you have existing templates or existing uh yeah, in existing resources to get started with research? Or do you have to figure that out every time? I mean, it depends of, of your company structure, obviously. Um, when I've been working in a company that has a, a research team, usually there is a, a clear structure as to how you should be setting up research. And you would have templates and you would have, if you are really lucky, you will have a research panel. But most of the time, the research panel does not really exist, so you would have to go through. Um, this is something that I've always found a, a bit frustrating. Unless you go through an agency to recruit participants fast for the following week to ensure that you can have a quick turnover and find relevant relevant audience for your, your test or your, your research, you would often have to go through a whole research setup um, which is kind of cumbersome and a bit long and it, it exists for very good reasons is to not uh, overwhelm 
uses with research emails to to participate in but yeah often you would have to uh yeah request a, a an email a research email within with your life cycle team crm team and that can take kind of a bit of time if you have a lot of research needs in your company and you have several teams trying to reach, reach out to users um just that process of being able to send that email that is going to be reaching out participants is uh can take sometimes up to a month and i think for me that is the most yeah the most the yeah a bit frustrating because it's it's taking so long so then in the meantime you have to kind of plan around um and it can really get in the way of the team of of just acting quite fast uh but this is a downside i guess the other alternative is to go through an agency if you have the budget for it but the issue is that sometimes you don't have the budget otherwise you can also compromise on the quality of your participants um i guess you can never have it all right so the issue with compromising on your participants quality i would guess is that you don't screen them as well so they might not actually fit your target audience so you can never be really so sure that your your insights really fit um like sometimes it will be fine because you're you're researching quite a broad problem that you know you don't have to be super targeted but there are some projects that require you to reach out to specific demographics or i don't know people who use or have a certain behavior and you can't really yeah overcome this so then you have to go through a more complex project and take more time as you said earlier reaching out to some types of users will take some time and i guess sometimes just yeah the day-to-day -day of of work as designer just uh accepting to be patient um so that's why often i try to identify what research questions we have quite early on i know i said earlier that i try to define to look first at what research we already have but i try to um i still try to to draw what kind of research question we still have outstanding after a very very quick look at at desk research uh, before really diving more into details into the, the desk research which you can do when you're waiting for the primary research to be set up as well so yeah you can try to do this as well if it's possible yeah this this makes me think about how how everything is a product like how a design system is a product but um continuous research operations or any research ops is also a bit of a product in 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 the yeah in, in a sense that it's um, you should iterate on it. So, for example, to make sure it's a product that can be continuously used, iterate, learn and iterate on things like what incentives work, what recruitment touch points and channels work best, uh, what wording of recruitment outreach, like, for example, a specific subject line in the email or, you know, how to phrase the email um, when you try to recruit them, you know, document all of these things, iterate, uh, iterate on, on them, um, uh, see what works, what doesn't work and have, have a, uh, what's it called? Again, like a repository of, of templates and things. So things are of, of evidence-based uh, templates of things you've learned to work in, in trying to recruit people and conduct user research it could be that you you start with having all of this documented for project-based research and maybe some someday you want to 
what's it called <laughs> switch over no um add continuous uh, discovery into it and then you, you can have all these learnings that um you've accumulated and, and build on that yeah i will also say that your templates should be branded um should have the right tone of voice and all these things are really important for just consistent experience as well something that sometimes we overlook when we just send a research email being like hey do you want to be part of this research session is yeah Talking to users like the rest of your product talks to them is super, super important. And that's why having templates is really essential as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's uh, let's end it there on the main uh, topic of this week's episode. And uh, let's talk about our uh, gratitude this week or what we're grateful for this week. So Sandrine, what are you grateful for this week? Um... This week, I am grateful for, well, not the scorching heat, definitely not. Although, a little bit, because it's nice to have a nice summer. Uh, but I am looking forward to uh, hosting one of my friends next week, actually. But um, yeah, she's told me quite recently that she's able to come and visit. So I'm super excited to, to see her, because uh, she hasn't been able to visit in London for quite a while due to the pandemic and all this. So, so yeah, I'm just grateful to connect with friends um and yeah i guess this is what summer is for just slowing down and seeing more people so yeah oh amazing uh mine is very 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 similar so i'm um i've gone from the heat wave of italy and come back to the heat wave in london but i'm really grateful for all the friends i got to reconnect with um in italy so there are people i haven't seen in years and years and years that I studied with and by pure chance there were lots of people from different parts and periods of my life that ended up being in Italy at the same time I feel like Italy is a bit of a hotspot uh, right now uh, and so I got to reconnect with, um, with a lot of them which was super super nice and then I have a bonus and bonus <laughs> gratitude which is also heat wave uh, related um, if you're in Europe listening to this, you'll completely understand why we're talking so much about the heat. But um, my bonus gratitude is our um, house, which doesn't get much sun. So when we were looking for a house to buy, we spent ages finding the perfect south-facing house because, of course, you want you want the sun. And then we we found a house that had almost everything except the south facing part so it's it doesn't get much sun it's north facing and you know what this i am so happy <laughs> we don't get sun because otherwise it would be unbearable so yeah blessing in disguise isn't that what you say yeah exactly i have three windows south facing so uh yeah i'm uh it's it's tough it's tough during those days but yeah we have the park next door so it's okay <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I think the rest of the year and be your south facing <laughs> windows. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was it for episode 45. We talked about uh, continuous discovery, when to do it, uh, when to do project based discovery and uh, all the values and challenges of uh, doing continuous discovery. 
uh, hope you enjoyed it uh, if you have any feedback or suggestions or thoughts please feel free to reach out to us uh, there are a few people who have uh, just connected with us I think lately to, to say they enjoy the podcast which is which is quite nice um, you can reach us on twitter at, uh, at ux underscore maturity uh, we're also posting episode updates on LinkedIn under UX Maturity and then we have our website at uh, uxmaturitypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. See you next week.